And today I've got with me Brandon Christensen. Hello, Brandon. Hello, thanks for having me. My pleasure, my pleasure. Now we're here to talk about your movie Still Slash Born. So for those that have not had the pleasure of seeing it yet and are going to be seeing it at Fright Fest, do you want to give us a brief synopsis as to what the film's about? Uh, sure. The movie is about a woman named Mary who has uh, who goes into labor with twins and only one of the babies makes it out alive. And so she's kind of... Um, stuck in this weird place of motherhood where she lived with uh, two babies for nine months and now she's only got one to show for it and so she's going through a pretty deep um, de- postpartum depression and uh, when things start to act a little funny around the house she starts thinking that maybe her other baby is also um, also in tr- you know in danger and as she starts to you know spiral into this uh, postpartum psychosis, she starts to think that there's actually uh, a supernatural entity that's after her and her child. I think that's a good, syn- good synopsis of what's, what it's all about without uh, not giving too much away. Cause, yeah. then, then chaos ensues. Indeed, indeed. Chaos does indeed ensue. And it's, uh, it's a fairly... It's a, it's a fairly... Uh, it's a fairly old nail-biting ride as you, as you take us to Take us yeah, through def- said chaos. It's definitely a very popcorn commercial, you know, horror movie. It's, it's, uh, you know, it just it follows a lot of the tropes and the, you know, that Blumhouse uses and things like that. And that was actually kind of our goal when we were creating it was just trying to create that Blumhouse style of film where you keep the locations limited, the cast limited, and you just try and keep it kind of in the real world rather than doing too much of, you know. Um, monsters or anything like that. Just trying to keep it really con- contained as much as you can. Well, from a script, screenplay point of view, then, how, how was this? Where, where was this? What was the sort of, uh, apart from the practicalities of, of what the story is doing, the actual the nub of the idea? This, this, this you know, the woman who loses a, ba- a baby, one of mm-hmm. twins, and what 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 ensues after that? Um, where where was that idea, or what was that idea born out of? Um, I guess, I mean, I'd have to kind of go back to Colin Minahan, who produced and wrote the movie with me. He had done a movie, uh, It Stains the Sands Red, that we shot out in the desert, and it was just kind of a grueling, you know, 20-day shoot, just no no niceties, kind of shooting two hours away from home every day. And it was just, um, after we finished that, we're like, what's the exact opposite of that? And so we started (laughs) thinking of... How do we do a contained script? What's like the smallest thing we can do? And we were just kind of brainstorming and, you know, research. And we were trying to, you know, looking for scripts to option, anything that could have gotten us. Because, you know, script writing is such a, it's a laborious process that can take a long time. And I'd never really written anything. Colin, you know, he's written a bunch of scripts. But um, I had this uh, random flash of an idea about a woman that's giving birth to twins. And then as the second baby is about to come out, you have this moment between her and a nurse and then just hard cuts to this woman in her nursery with just, you know, flanked by two cribs 
and holding only one baby and it kind of gives you you know uh, all the information that you need yeah and so i told colin that idea and he you know we started to, to develop it a little bit and um he you know we just we spent a couple of weeks just talking about how this idea can evolve and how where it can go. Because I mean, initially I was just thinking, oh, it can just be kind of like a you know a thriller, it's all in her head. But he was very adamant. I'd be like, no, we need to go really genre with it. We need to add, you know, we need a demon, we need all this stuff. And and so we started to have this interesting balance of where we were pitching ideas, and I would kind of pitch from one side, and he would pitch from the other, and we would try and include them both. So for every idea where he's like, it's pro-demon, I would try and fit in a, an idea that was pro, you know, it's all kind of in her head. And so, um, you know, Colin's such a workhorse that he would just call me in the morning and be like, okay, we got to write right now. And I'm like, I've got two kids of my own, and my wife would be out, so I'm kind of dealing with the kids i've got my earbuds in talking to him on facetime and i'm pitching ideas while making sandwiches for the kids and stuff so it was just like it, it was such a quick process just because he's kind of um he's like a, a train and i you know i hopped aboard for that experience and uh i would in like a month i would say we had the concept all the way through the first draft and it just kind of you know snowballed from there what would you say with, with with that approach to making it, and with that sort of rapid development? What was what became then the the sort of big storytelling challenges for the period? Um, I don't know. It, it it was it was remarkably smooth. I mean, just the speed that it happened. There wasn't any times. I mean, we were both very good at accepting new ideas and challenging each other's ideas. Got um, you. You know, so it was kind of nice where if I said something and it was stupid, he wouldn't be afraid to be like, no, that's bad. But, you know, you can take that idea and spin it into this and that might work here. And, uh, and you know, the same thing for him. And we, we kind of gained a mutual respect in the writing process because we never really worked together that tightly. I produced his, his last film with him and Stuart Ortiz, but, um, you know, I'd never been in the creative side of things with him. So I think it was, it was a learning experience for sure. I mean, it's, you know, it's always tough when you have a, a darling of yours in a script that has to get cut for story reasons. But, um, you know, I, I mean, I, I work in the commercial world where I'm being told what to do by agencies and stuff like that. So I'm used to, I'm used to being told no a lot and having, you know, uh, just, you know, someone being like, no, we can't do that for X, Y, Z. So I, I'm kind of, I'm used to it. And Colin, Colin's a good listener and he, he understands story really well. So he was able to, you know, he wasn't very, uh, he was he was good to pitch ideas to because his brain's always going and he could turn an idea into a better one or whatever and you know vice versa. It, it was just like such a smooth experience that you know we'll, we'll definitely be doing it again. No, it sounds like you've uh, if you can bottle that you could sell it. Right for sure. It was <laughs> it was wild because I'm working on another script right now with my wife and um, you know neither of us have the intense drive that Colin does so it's it's a much slower process like we'll write a couple pages or come up with a couple story ideas and I was like okay let's go grab a snack and then <laughs> watch something on TV or something like that no I, th I think this I mean I've, 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 I've not gone to the, the process of getting to production but certainly that the, the speed of working with someone where you're talking about ideas and neither of you are afraid of mm -hmm. being wrong for a better expression because i think i think that's that's often the the the, the wrong and the right is, is right. Like the worst the worst cul-de-sac to end up in isn't it in terms for of the sure. line process yeah it's it's almost like you know two wrongs don't make a right but in writing it kind of works like it's two wrong does make a right in some cases where it's just like a bad idea can spin off into another bad idea but that leads you down a path to something that's actually kind of cool so there's you know being able to experiment 
you know, in the writing process, I think is is hugely important with, when you're writing with someone else. Because if you're if you're just, I mean, you don't even know. Even if your idea is bad, just saying it might give some, you know, your partner. Uh, no, that's what, an I, idea. that's what I'm thinking. That's the spark that I enjoy when you. Because mm-hmm. if, if you say to someone, yeah, but it'd be great if they if they get stuck in the Mojave Desert, and then there's someone mm-hmm. will go, and someone's brain will go. No, what about what about a shopping mall? And you'd be like, how the hell have we got there? But anyway, now we're in a good idea. So right. can, can you illustrate what, what one one time where maybe an idea where an idea started off as being weak and then through the through the uh, the mashing of your two minds together? Because the, the classic is obviously William Burroughs, isn't it? Is um, right. the third mind is what makes it, isn't it? Two people, right? For sure. And the third mind is what makes it. Without the two, you don't get the third, do you? Right. And I think I think just the constraints that we put on ourselves trying to keep the locations down, that was also a problem solver for a lot of things. Like there's a sequence near the end of the movie where um, the lead character, Mary, needs to make a difficult choice using uh, with her neighbor's baby. uh, And I'm sure you know what I'm talking about. Yes, I do. Yes, yes. In, you know, the original, when we're throwing out ideas, we're like, well, let's, you know, we'll take her out to the, the forest and it'll be a classic horror movie look and we'll do all, you know, X, Y, Z, all these giant things. And then at the end of the day, you're just like, why the hell are we doing that? Let's just take it back to her house. Like, just keep it simple. Living room. We'll just stay in the living room. Then we don't have to do anything else. Just living room. So a lot of, you know, a lot of the, the things that we did in the script were based around that. So it's like, okay, well, how do we communicate with this thing without going too far outside of our constraints? It's like, just, it just, it it kept you reining ideas back in and keeping it really focused on this singular thing. That's just like the horror is inside her house. Keep the horror inside her house. So I think that especially, you know, that, and and a bunch of others that I am not exactly sure. I can't remember a hundred percent, but it was just bring the ideas back to the house and try and keep it as simple as possible. And what about research with this one? Because obviously you've got your um, your expert character in Ironside, mm-hmm. uh, who 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 obviously is talking not just load of old psycho babble, is he? He's talking real real medical understanding of what the condition is that they think she's suffering from. Yeah. Right. Yeah. When we were uh, sort of writing the treatment for this, we were just looking up. Uh, I mean, a couple of things. One, we were looking up demons in real mythologies that, you know, had a, uh, went after children and things yeah, like that. Yeah, and that's, yeah. that, that's how we found the one that we found. We Got did uh, change the, the look of it and everything. But we were also looking at medical issues just because the whole time we were writing, it was always the balance of is it real, is it not real? And so we had to kind of, if we had a demon, we had to have something that was equally as strong in the, you know, psychologically. And that's when we found postpartum psychosis, which is um, this horrible thing that is just, it's like the next step in postpartum depression. And there's tons of jur- journals and, and things, just, uh, you know, a lot of anecdotes online about what happens. I don't think there's any reason why it happens. It just affects, you know, X amount of, X amount of uh, parents. And it's, it's just this horrible thing where it's just it takes over your mind. It's 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 hard to you know. I remember reading one story about a woman that re, like just found herself on the middle of the highway, completely naked, and she doesn't even know how she got there. Wow! And so it's just like these these flashes, sleepwalking, all these things. You just can't control your behavior anymore, and that's almost as scary as you know if there was a demon that was coming after you, just not being able to trust yourself. Now it's interesting you mentioned that Blue Mouse was was a model for you to follow in terms of how to make the production work best for you. But mm-hmm. on, on a film front, um, I thought, I mean, given the subject of pair of, of a, certainly a mother and grief, 
there was there was some parallels with um, with the Babadook. Uh-huh, uh, totally. With the uh, with the just the role of the and like like you described like the way you described the two things you've got the demon and you've got this this psychological illness. Right. And we as an audience are party to what Mary sees and what Mary experiences. Whether what Mary sees and experiences is real is mm-hmm. is 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 contained within the film. But but for for the experience we get, we don't know whether she's going mad or whether there's a demon to be concerned about, which I think is a really beautiful thing you've you've achieved with it. Right. And, and I think, uh, I mean, Babadook was definitely an influence from just a tone perspective, because that movie, the whole thing is just desaturated and depressed pretty much the entire time. Mm. And that's definitely something that we looked at for this, just because, you know, our character's dealing with the loss of a child. And it's, and it's kind of an interesting dilemma, because her husband, um, he, you know, at the end of the day, he still has a baby. So it's not like he, he doesn't really understand the internal turmoil that she's going through where she lost a child because she had nine months with these things. And he's just seeing, oh, I've got, I've got Adam here. I mean, uh, it sucks that we lost one, but I still have this baby. So he didn't really have the attachment that, that Mary would have had, you know, when she got that little plus mark on her pregnancy test. Um, but, uh, um, no, I think, I think that's a I think that's a really that was a really good part of the story. What uh, the, you know, in terms of the battle of the sexes, mm-hmm. you, you, you didn't you didn't poke you didn't poke a finger in our face with it, but it was blatantly obvious that the that the attachment to a baby in the uter- in, in the womb, as it were, is is very much the woman's experience. Yeah, and when the baby comes out, then it's a shared experience. And in a way, although he's not, he's not. He's not complete. I wouldn't want to mislead the audience. He's not like completely cold-hearted, but he's kind of doing the the classic displacement thing. He's throwing all his energy into the baby Adam mm-hmm. because there is no baby Thomas, <laughs> and, right. and and that's his. I guess that's his way of coping. It, but it's not. It's not helping Mary cope with the fact that she's lost something that was living in her up until the yeah. moment it comes out. And I thought you and did she, that. Sorry, and she and she's just sort of. It's kind of the. She she doesn't ever ask for help or anything. She's trying to be strong and independent because she knows her husband's working, and she's trying to sort of squeeze herself into this traditional conservative parenting role. And um, you know, I mean, to, she doesn't. She loved living in the city that she said uh, to Jack at one point, and she yeah, can yeah. smoke without help. Like so, she's definitely got a past. And we didn't want to beat you over the head or with it, just because there's a point where exposition just becomes kind of a grown worthy thing, where it's just like, oh. How long have we been brothers now? You know those kind of yeah, things. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> Just yeah. speaking directly to the audience, and it kind of takes you out. So there's, um, we definitely wanted to show hints that maybe she's not just a mom. You know, she wasn't always wanting to be a mom or anything like that. And it might have been Jack's thing where he maybe came from a, a different upbringing. Uh, it's just kind of questions that we left lingering, I think, but that kind of influences how she's acting to Jack. And maybe there's a little bit of resentment that he's, you know, he has to leave for work and stuff like that and leaving him at home. Um, and it's just, you know, it's, it's tough to be a mom. And especially when you're, when you're doing a lot of the lion's share at home and you've already got this depression, it's tough when your husband's just like, well, I got to go on a business trip. So, um, well, yeah. well, well, interestingly, just about an hour before you and I spoke, I just had some talk radio on, and they were mm-hmm. talking exactly about the reluctance of any parent to admit to their doctor that they're not coping with with, right. their, with their child because the fear isn't that they'll be called a wuss or they'll be seen as weak. It's that they'll get the baby taken off them is the right. fear. So you strive on because you think you're meant to be able to cope and that, you know, 
millions of years of evolution have proved that people do cope. And I suppose right. once you get into that cycle, you're, you're thinking, this will work out. You know, Mary's character is going to be like, this will work out in the end. Yeah. And I think it's also she's hanging out with a neighbor that seems to have everything together. She's an effortless parent and she's just very cool. And it's just it's hard to be like that. And you never know what the neighbor's like behind closed doors. But I mean, in, in the world that we live in now with like social media and everything, it's everyone's always putting on a face like you're just usually seeing the best moments of people's lives and you don't get to see those moments. Well, you know, the, the American beauty of their lives where there's depression or anything like that. Everyone's kind of just everyone's kind of wearing a mask on these social services. So you don't really get a good handle on what they're actually dealing with. Now, when, when you was, uh, I mean, casting Mary must have been, because she, she, sorry, I mean, she's not the only person, but you've only really got two other, two other mm -hmm. sort of main supporting characters, her husband and, and the neighbor you're talking about. Um, so, so about casting um, Christ, Christy Burke, um, what what would what was the uh, what what was going through your mind there with what what you're expecting her to do and 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 finding her even? Um, casting Mary was definitely really challenging. I mean, just it's such a a mom driven film where she it's almost like a CG film where you're acting along a green screen. I mean, you're you're acting alongside a baby that that's not really giving you much performance wise, but you still have <laughs> to put all your energy into it. So it's um, you know she definitely had her her. Uh, you know, her work cut out for her. I mean, the first six days of production was just her. We didn't have any other actors uh, until day seven when wow. we had uh, the old lady that she goes to visit Jane. Um, so she, you know, we had to, the, the shoot was kind of, because uh, Jack, the husband, he wasn't available to the second or the third and fourth week of shooting. So the okay. first the first two was Mary alone, Mary with Jane and Mary with the neighbor. Um, but the first six days were just sort of plowing through all these, um, you know, the big horror moments where it's just her alone or her and the baby. And so she had to kind of dive in head first. And, um, you know, I think she did a great job because those, some of those horror movies are those, just those moments where she's got these big eyes and it's just, you know, you get, she definitely is a good, she looks great on camera scared <laughs> and that's always scary because you can do an audition a million different ways, but until you've got the lightning flashing on her and you don't really, you know, her hair is wet from the rain. You don't really know what that's going to look like. And, uh, yeah, so it, it was definitely, and, she, and another thing was that she lived on set, like, cause that was my parents' house that we shot in okay. and, to sit, and because we had no money, um, we were able to put her up in the, in the house itself. So she was living there. I was living there. Um, and uh, so the nice thing was is that when we were doing an overnight in the day, we could block scenes or something like that and just kind of talk through the script and, and work together there. And then we'd be a little bit more prepared for the, the day. Just because, I mean, you're working on an indie film where you've got 12 hours to shoot 12 scenes um, every day. It's just, you know, it's so overwhelming that um, it, it's nice to be able to have that, that relationship where you guys can work to, you know, so closely together. So, um, Bradley, is it Stuckel? The, the, uh, Stuckel. Stuckel is your, mm -hmm. your DOP on the film. Mm -hmm. And you, men you mentioned about the look of about the, the desaturated feel of it. And I mean, when I, the, the review I've written, which isn't available till after you've shown at Frightfest, but just, just oh. pick it, just, just so I don't have to rethink of another phrase. I, I, I thought, I wrote um, that your film had like a frosty elegance to it, okay. watching mm -hmm. the film. So, that might be an inaccurate description from your point of view, but but, but um, what was your discussions with your DLP about about the, the look and feel of what we see on screen in terms of the, the colours, the colour choices and stuff? Um, 
Brad's a ridiculously talented, uh, you know, cinematographer. Uh, he, he and I, it was great cause we'd never worked together. So, and I was in Las Vegas and he was in Calgary. So a lot of the conversations we'd be having over text were just, you know, talking about wardrobe colors and palettes and, and, uh, things like that. And I'd be saying, I cut like a mood reel of kind of different films that I really like the look of just to okay. give him an idea of kind of the mood. And it had films like gone girl and the gift and uh, panic room, just, things where it's a lot of um you know just living in these suburban areas but even though that you know everything's kind of perfect outside and super saturated inside it's very cold and desaturated like that so i mean the film kind of has that I, I think frosty elegance is a good way of putting it because they live in this beautiful home but even though you know everything's furnished and looks beautiful it's still kind of cold feeling and sterile and it's no it doesn't really feel like a home at all that you would raise a child in but um uh, you know, I, I, he did such a great job of kind of building those looks that when we went into the color grade, I mean, all it was was just basically just matching shots and when we needed to. I mean, the looks that he, he shot the film on was so good that we didn't even really have to change anything. He did such a good job. No, no, it's, it's beautiful. It's beautiful. One of, one of the things I really enjoyed, and, 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 I, and thankfully I got a second chance to watch the film before we spoke, is mm -hmm. some of your almost like stylistic shots rather than um the sort of dramatic shots so we've got you you have like a repetition looking at the front door you have a repeated shot looking down the the sort of landing area of the staircase which <laughs> which which unite i mean you you there's a reason for that i guess because of where you take mary at one point where thing goes things go a bit tits up for her Quite literally, uh -huh. quite literally. But but, but, it, but it but it wasn't until I watched the second time that I realised you were kind of you were showing us these views in the house, and they they were like in the end they weren't just stylistic they were actually they were literally foreshadowing as much as they were at the time creating atmosphere. So where 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 would that where does that idea born out? Because because you still play norm there's normal drama you know there's the normal tense uh -huh. drama people talking story evolving but there was those little just breaks that you gave us that seemed like. They, they seem very purposeful. Um, it's kind of funny because, I mean, a lot of those things, uh, you know, as bad as it makes us look, is just like we – with the front door, for example. I mean, are you talking – I guess there's a few different looks at the front door, and we're, and it's always kind of – it starts wider, and every time it kind of cuts to those shots, it's closer and closer. It's yeah, just yeah, a little yeah. – and, uh, and then there was – and there's like a little almost like – there's a moment where it's kind of – it gets there, then it looks up, and then we cut into the next – but, you know, it just seemed like – and it was all very centrally – it was all very central in perspective on these ones specifically, I think. Right. I mean, I think a big thing that we were going for with the film was kind of the symmetry of everything. Like the house itself is built for that, but just um, we would try and use symmetry to show, you know, Mary's on one side and the other side would be empty, but the frame otherwise looks very similar. So it's almost like it's always just kind of calling back to the fact that one of the twins lived, one of them died. So there's always this empty half of the frame. Um, so you'll see a ton of that in the film where she's in the bathroom and both of them brush their teeth from the same side, even though they've got two sinks, because I mean, that, that plays into them being used to living in a smaller space, but it's also just, they're always ignoring this one half of everything. Got you, got um, you. But with those, with that, with those foreshadowing elements, it's, it's almost like we just needed I, I mean, some of them weren't intentional. It's like, oh, we can steal that frame from that the beginning of that role there, and we can place it here, and that helps. So a lot of them are just ha you know happy accidents when you're rewriting the film in post because that's such a big thing that you know I'd never dealt with before because this is my first feature. But when yeah. you're in post production, 
you know, they say that you write the script three times, uh, you know, when you write it, when you shoot it, when you edit it. And I mean, if you were to read the script, the, the amount of things and rearranging of scenes and stuff, it's actually kind of striking because it's, it's not the same movie as the script was. And so it's just kind of, you're, you're really just forcing a lot of things into where they will work. But it, yeah, it, it's amazing what you can do in editing when you're trying to retell a story because, uh, you know, when you shoot it, just things don't always go the way that they, they needed to, or, and it, sometimes it's for the better. So it's just, it's just really funny how, how different, um, you know, how different the script kind of evolves throughout the process. There was, there was a neat little trick you did to show um, passage of time sort of in the second half of the movie when, mm -hmm. um, when the husband goes out for some coffee. Right. Um, and it, 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 I mean, I don't think it's a spoiler to discuss. I'm not discuss like where we are in the movie, but it just was, sure. a, it was a lovely, it was, it, I mean, it felt like as I'm watching it, like we look around the room once from her point of view. Mm -hmm. And and then he's back, and obviously that feels like he's just come back. And that was a really neat neat trick of you know tr trick stroke literally happened for her, but obviously time has moved on much quicker. Um, was was that how did that look on the page, or was that something born out of your um, the, when when you were editing it together? That, that no, that about? that was definitely shot for that purpose. Uh, yeah. That was an idea Colin had that he he wanted to incorporate kind of this. This, the time, you know, kind of losing track of time throughout the script. And um, so that was a big thing that he, he had brought in early on. I think even the first draft had it where it's just uh, it was written. Basically, you know, we, we turn around the entire room and right when it gets back, it's, um, you know, the husband's back. And she thinks it's just been a few seconds, but it's been several hours. And so it's just kind of it's confusing for the audience. It's almost putting the audience in her shoes where we're mm. just like, okay, we're just living this moment out, what's going to happen? And then he comes back, and we're on the same page as her when she's like, oh, did you forget something? And it's just like, oh, wait, what the hell? And we're kind of, you know, the whole movie's kind of told from her perspective, and all of her her little flashes through time, like when she's in the hospital and the doctor's there talking to her, um, she has the same kind of moment where she just kind of loses track of time, and then, you know, it jumps forward, and it hasn't cut so we had all these kind of things built in where where we aren't cutting. And that, that 360 shot that you're talking about, that was all done in camera, no tricks or anything. He oh, had to awesome. hide. Yeah, so we had to hide all the lights and basically just Jack walked out, went on the pan, and then we just called for him to come back in when we had to. So we were just all kind of shuffling around the camera as he as he did his long pan. Well, applaud, applause for that. It was, it's, a really, it's a really nice moment. It's, yeah, it's... it's it's an incredibly smooth pan for a movie of this size. <laughs> <laughs> you should be very proud of yourselves. So, are you going? Are you as it's your first feature? Are you, are you over for for the for the for the film showing at Fright Fest? Uh, unfortunately, I'm not able to. I was hoping I could, but um, uh, I had another project that came up of some commercial work that I have to do. I've got mouths okay. to feed at home, so uh, I, I really hoped I, I was able to, but it just didn't work out. Um, my parents are gonna, probably going to be there, and it's playing twice, and I'm sure they'll be at both of them because they <laughs> love watching. They love watching their house on camera. <laughs> what What did your parents think of of this choice of subject, though? Uh, they were fine with it. My dad had read the script, you know, after I did the second draft or something like that, and he was he was down. Um, and I mean, they at that time they weren't expecting to shoot in their house, so that was a that was the biggest shock of all for them because we, I mean, the film was written to be a um, a young couple in a, a very 
uh, cut and paste suburb. And that was the house that we had originally. And then a week before production, the house sold to someone that needed possession during the, the shooting date. So we lost it. And it was just like, it was Friday, um, a week before we started shooting. And we started just calling every realtor in town, just being like, we need a house. We'll throw money at you, even though we didn't have any. And we we're just trying to problem solve. And then we all kind of just said, let's just talk to my parents because they've got this great house. And, you know, they were so they were gracious enough to let us, you know, to move out on short notice and live wherever they could for a month. You know, at my grandparents house, my brother's house, sister's house, whoever would take them for however many days. And they just disappeared and for, you know, the month and then they would they would come back and watch filming quite often. But um, I mean, they just, you know, upended or just packed their bags and left on very short notice, which was pretty cool. Indeed, indeed. Now, in terms of in terms of your ambition to sort of shoot something that was that was easier to produce than one that was sort of location location, looking at what you did achieve, then what what were what were some of the rabbits you still had to pull out of the hat to to get the shots that you get the shots you wanted and, and the action you wanted to portray? Is there anything you can tell us about without you know so without spoiling any big moments in the movie? Um, I mean, if you were to come on set and just see the team that the two producers from Calgary, Kurt and Chris, are, are, uh, came up with, I mean, you'd think we were on a million dollar movie, but because we had, I mean, there was just so many people. The crew was, was pretty massive. And, okay. uh, it, it, so I, I don't think we were ever lacking for people because I think Kurt and Chris, they just did a great job of making the, the, the production transparent. And I think that's the most important thing you can do as a producer is just, not, you know, I, I never really knew any of the problems that were going on when you're when you're seen, you know, seven on the day and you have no and they're kind of frantically working away at trying to make sure the next day was ready. I mean, those aren't things that I would want to know. And so they did such a great job just making sure that their job was kind of transparent, because if you can see what the producer's doing, that probably means they're doing a bad job, because if you're just if the pieces aren't ready, then, you know, you're really going to see that. And when they are ready, they don't really get the credit that they deserve when you know that you you it's just their job becomes invisible so um i i i mean just the way it was written it's such it's not really a huge actiony kind of film so i don't think there was any i mean did the times when we needed things like when we were lighting the house from the outside or something like that we had to get a big condor up with a you know big hmi on it and stuff we had what we needed okay. so i think that that was just kind of the whole thing was that we always had what we needed which was which was good. And anytime you don't, it's always a small thing that didn't really matter in the end anyways. Now, um, I've, uh, funny you mentioning your parents. I, the second I watched it, I, I watched it with my parents just sort of as mm -hmm. a, as a, it's all, they're always a good measure. Um, <laughs> in fact, the last, the last time I watched the film with my parents, with, with, with my dad was Wolf, the, the sequel to Wolf Creek. And I don't, I took a picture of him curling up on the couch to get away <laughs> from the screen. It was quite That's an awesome. amazing moment. But, I, I can safely say that that my mother spent the most of the film once we we think there's some peril for Adam. Mm -hmm. She was just hiding behind her hands for the entire film. There's a there's a particular moment where where a bath's filling with water that that, <laughs> that I think you 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 have you have shot and edited that to, to I think perfection really because there's there's not a lot happening although there is mm -hmm. obviously in the mind of Mary. And there's a, there's a very simple thing happening, but and like I said, I've watched it twice now. It is a very very tense scene in terms of uh, in terms of what we get for what is very right. yeah. You're just cutting between a baby and a mother and a baby and a mother and 
and it's just it's a really it's a, the sequence is really really effective. Um, cool. I mean on. I mean, on page, how did that did how, how did that differ from how it ended up? Um, it didn't really. I mean, it was pretty. It was pretty. Um, we pretty much just shot was on the page, but uh, I can't really think of what was different. It's just, I mean, th- those things are always tough because they're such big scenes for the movie, but you've only got you know you've got the same amount of time that you've got for every other scene. So it's just about. It's 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 you. I mean, and and with the subject matter, you can't show that much. Like you can't be too explicit about what's happening on the baby side. So it's more sound driven. It's just mm. you know music pulsing and things like that. Because I mean, we're dealing with a real baby. We had a real baby on set for 19 out of the 20 days. Um, so it's it, it's always challenging. And it's it's my niece, which was a big reason why this was able to happen as well. But wow. Uh, so I mean, I've got the mom standing right next to me, and we're filling up a bath, <laughs> a, a bath of water, and it's just like getting that one shot when it's just you know it reaches uh, a dangerous territory, and then you're just like, okay, pull her, pull her, pull her, get her out of there. <laughs> wow. So it's it. I mean, you're very limited when you're shooting with a baby, so you you just have to just you have to be pretty calculated with the shots that you need, and then hope that it comes together in the edit. Well, look, congratulations on the film Stillborn. Uh, it's going to be uh, it's going to be a real treat for uh, those that get to see it at Fright Fest and and beyond. Is is there do you, is there plans at the moment for release dates, or is that still all in the pipeline? Uh, it's kind of in the pipeline. Uh, we're just on the verge of signing the North American distrib- uh, distribution. We've we've sold some other territories, and uh, I think. Uh, we should be hearing more pretty soon. We're hoping that we can release some information soon. We're just waiting until kind of all the contracts are signed. So hopefully we'll have something to say. But I think I would hope that, you know, a wider audience can see this film soon because I think uh, there's a lot of moms out there that I think have been neglected with their horror movies. So they no, need to... No, it is. It's, it's a really... It's a really a fa- I think you've, you've managed to draw on sort of, I mean, two classics of the genre. You know, you've got... At the one hand, you've got... Rosemary's Baby is a, is, a, mm-hmm. is, is, is a kind of obvious sort of reference point. I mean, I've, I've, we mentioned Babadook, but also from a thrilling point of view, I think you've also you've also stepped into sort of like Hand That Rocks the Cradle as well. I think you've you've you know as well as delivering on the horror tropes, you've de- you've genuinely you know you've genuinely delivered on on the tension and and the oh my god, there's a baby in peril. Right, that's a great movie too. And, yeah. rocks the and with with the, the neighbor's relationship with the husband and stuff, there's definitely some some uh, some of that in there as well. I think. You have been listening to the Britflakes Fright Fest Preview Podcast. At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place. By working more efficiently, by using more sustainable practices, by developing better technologies, we keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com slash purpose. Parker, engineering your success. 
Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target, are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill.